Welcome to the Mom Visit with your hosts, Curious Dugan and Stanton Jones. To the mound visit, episode one of episode one. How about of it? One so far. One of one. We're doing this. We're doing this. <sighs> what um, are we doing here? What, what are we doing? <laughs> I don't know what we're doing, but we're diving headfirst into this, so we're gonna let it ride here. Um, uh, like we said, this is the mound visit. I'm Curious Dugan, joined by uh, Stanton Jones. We're diving into the podcast up? world. Um, Let's do it. I think we're both pretty interesting guys, and. We've been friends here for a super long time, going back to third, fourth grade. Um, oh, man. That's I'm a, down. That's a long time, man. It is. It is. We've stuck with each other here. Um, I'm down here in South Carolina right now, working at the University of South Carolina. Um, Go Cox. Stanton and I are both baseball guys. Uh, played baseball at the University of Dayton. Stanton and I played from Little League, even got a year of college in, in, college in together. Um, that's community a whole college. story. Well, We'll have to talk about that on a future episode because that whole uh, background of how that all came together and the, the whole inside scoop on that, I think that's a pretty interesting topic there. But we'll get to that. We, we got a lot of time with this. So. Yeah. Community college athletics can be an episode all within itself. <laughs> just can, from, I was about to say that could, could potentially be an entire season. but uh. <laughs> Just from what we went through. But um, like we said, this we're calling this the mound visit for the time being. Um, Stanton was a pitcher. I was a catcher. We've been through a lot here in life together. We've been through a lot in between the lines, outside the lines. Thought that was an appropriate name here. And this is really just a podcast that's going to cover everything from sports to culture, life, entertainment, and, you know, everything in between. So a couple of Chicago boys at heart living in different states. And uh, Stanton, take us away here. Tell us a little bit about yourself before we get rolling. Yeah, man, it's it's this is crazy. Like you said, I'm Stanton, Stanton Jones. Uh, to all the listeners, future listeners, or even our future selves and future people <laughs> who are who are listening to this, uh, yeah, it's crazy. 31, now living in Columbus, Ohio, working for Mark Anthony Brands, of which host uh, a couple of brands you may have heard of: uh, Mike's Hard Lemonade, Mike's Harder, and then this old little uh, seltzer called uh, White Claw Hard Seltzer, which. Uh, Think, I think a few people drink here or there. I don't know. Could could be a thing. Could could be something that that. Uh, yeah, we that dabble here and there. Something pretty big. Yeah, you know, we can dabble in that a little bit. I've no, seen it's them. awesome. I'm over. I'm over on the marketing side. Just uh, switched over here. Used to be a career salesman working for the White Sox before this, and now, um, then jumped over to the beer side and was working in sales there, seeing how the money gets thrown around, which was pretty interesting. But uh, yeah, now we're on the marketing side and specifically here in uh, in the part of the world that I'm in and what is our Great Lakes region. So uh, big focus is in here in Columbus, Nashville, which uh, certainly takes up a lot of my time. And then Indianapolis, all of our events and partnerships that we have in those three cities and in and around the surrounding areas. But yeah, all of that's cool. I like it. You know, beer's all right. I drink it. But what I really, really love and what I really want to get into here right away is, man, we got to talk about some of these sports and specifically you. This is something near and dear to your heart. 
we got to talk about this college football and what Nick Saban did the other day and how him he just came out of nowhere off the top ropes and just decided, hey, man, I'm going to take – I'm just going to start firing shots across the bow talking about, hey, man, Texas A&M bought all their players. You got University of Miami just out here buying players. Like, first of all, where did this come from? Why, why is he doing this? Why now? <laughs> I really don't know. You know, I – I was conflicted when it came out. I was conflicted because I thought it was really good entertainment. And I thought it was really good leading up to talking season, which we're about to embark on here with, with college football coaches going through their media days and everything. And, you know, and everybody's talking about their team versus this and that, how they looked in the spring. And, you know, everybody gets competitive when it's talking season and all that. And usually the God complex guy in the sport is usually pretty quiet. And Nick Saban's usually like this quiet guy who is just, we're Alabama. We're doing our thing. We're in a rock and roll. And um, I'm not an Alabama fan. I'm not an Alabama guy, but I like Nick Saban. I respect him, you know, SEC network. They're really good special on him and his kind of upbringings and, you know, kind of what he came from and how he lived in a coal mining town and how tough big Nick, his dad was on him. And, you know, I respect the guy. I really do. I'm a Nick Saban fan, not an Alabama fan. You can separate that. But with that being said, I feel like Nick finally had it because he can't relate to any of this. I, I think that he has built what he's got over there at Bama based on the opposite of everything that's going on today. And I'm not saying it was squeaky clean. I mean, let's be real. People were had bag men for how long? You know, I'm sure some of it was going on at Alabama, but I'm sure Nick Saban had others on his staff kind of take care of that, and he would look the other way. My opinion. Don't know if there's any yeah. truth behind that, but he just came out, and to me it's like angry rich white men fighting over their pocketbooks now. It's like, well, I we think, have money like that too, but we just didn't want to buy them. But you guys did. I think – I think that the most interesting, one of the more interesting things that I saw, and I wish I could remember exactly who I saw from this on Twitter, I guess, going into this new space, I should start saving and writing some of this stuff down when I see it. But someone had mentioned that I think Nick Saban just turned 70. Right. And at that point, when you're 70 years old, you just don't give a fuck anymore. <laughs> yeah. The filter's you know, about gone. what other people think. And yeah, the, the filter is just completely gone. And that's exactly what seemed to happen. He, I don't even know how it got started, but I'm guessing it was probably a pretty innocent question. And then he just went all in. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, there is some validity. I mean, it was pretty absurd that Texas A&M not just had the number one recruiting class, but their incoming class seems to be a an incredible amass of talent that they're going to have on that roster this year. And they're all going to not USC in Southern sunny California, not even to an Alabama where it's just an absolute powerhouse and they're churning out NFL players left and right. Hell, not even Miami, right? Where you get to live in Coral right. Gables and have South Beach not too far away. We're talking about College Station. Like, Texas A&M? Who wants yeah, to, like, yeah, week. maybe Jimbo Fisher's, yeah, Jimbo Fisher's maybe got some, some name brand recognition there from his days at FSU, but like, yeah, so, I mean, that's the only way to explain it. And it's funny because I think he just said the quiet part out loud. Like, everyone knows. Like, Nick, come on, man. We <laughs> we all know that, <laughs> yeah. that Texas A&M Texas A&M boosters, they went full SMU style and decided, hey, man, we're giving everyone bags of money. And honestly, 
that's what makes college football way more entertaining. It's already a really like it's all it's easily the second most popular sport. I mean, you got the NFL and then you got the, the junior league in, in college football, and that's why you see 15 million different NFL leagues popping up, whether it's the fan control league, the XFL, like all these other leagues that are popping right. up. So obviously, like football has the absolute heart and soul of Americans. But I mean, this is what's going to potentially push it. Because right now, I mean, hey, man, I'm locked in. I want to know when that Texas A&M Alabama game is this year. Because, man, that's going to be spicy. Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting because I feel like the common denominator, obviously, we're talking about name, image, likeness with them getting paid. They're not just paying them to go there. There's some sort of deal behind it. But you look at Texas A&M's recruiting the last couple of years, you know, 2018 to 2021, or sorry, 2018 to 2020, they had one five-star in each recruiting class. They had two in 2021, and this past year they had six. So recruiting, I mean, it's a zero-sum game, right? And if A&M gets said player, that's one player that Nick Saban can't get. So, of course, that's going to sit in his craw, you know, and, and Nick Saban later went on to make a comment about, you know, primetime at Jackson State and how, you know, he paid a million dollars to – to get Hunter, the number one player in the class. And I mean, that shouldn't bother Nick Saban because that team is Jackson State. But again, it's a zero-sum game. It is one player, no matter what Nick Saban did, that he couldn't have because of this new rule of name, image, likeness. And I get it. Everybody's saying it. The Texas A&M bought this team that's on the field. You know, it, it doesn't work for everybody. I mean, you make the comment, College Station, Texas. I'll make the argument, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. You know what I mean? Who who in their right mind had been wanting to go there for three, four years for so long? And now the difference yeah. is the boosters, I mean, that's oil money. You can't compete. Yeah. I don't care if it's, yeah. if that's located in, you know, hey, come play for us in freaking Australia. Like, if you got that oil yeah. money, I mean, the kids are going to go. That's clear. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, there is a little bit of prestige and in, in history behind Tuscaloosa, right? Bear Bryant and you know all the sure you know, championships and stuff that comes with it too as well. But yeah, no, I mean that's still a great point. Like, I, look, man, like <laughs> you give me a lot of money, I don't, you know, I, I don't really know. And granted, my talent level has never been on that caliber to be recruited by in Alabama or those type of schools. But yeah, to get me to go down to Tuscaloosa, it's going to take a a pretty hefty sum and that's what I got to imagine for some of these recruits in college station unless like they're from you know all of them are from Texas grew up in and around the area and want to play at home in front of mom and dad and want to you know want to stay close to home in that way I totally get it from that from that vantage point other than that man I can't really see it but yeah no that no doubt about it, it definitely provided some sparks and I because that's, that's what's interesting and in kind of switching gears here a little bit right because I think the one sport that really and arguably has even more control over their off season and has just as much buzz with their off season than they do the actual season is the NBA. And I right. think that's what's going to be interesting because you see the NFL is now becoming 365, right? They're making a big production out of the unveiling of the schedule, of the draft, of the combine, all this and all that. NBA is trying to, you know, NBA does that a little bit with the draft and the combine. But really, I mean, when we get to the free agency talk, that's where you can see a lot of the sparks fly, maybe some sniping back and forth. So if college right. football now, and granted, right, they have a spring game. That adds some added drama now with this whole um, – with the transfer window and and how that is working now with kids being able to basically just 
just back out and, and, and leave their schools. Like, yeah. uh, what's homie's name from from Pittsburgh who just went over to USC? Which clearly, clearly, like this, there had to be some. Oh, the wide receiver. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, yeah no who, doubt about who's it. Gonna, who's gonna call? Who's gonna call him out on that? Right? Like, because everyone's doing that here at this point. No. I think that's gonna add another level of intrigue. And and I ask you for your perspective, especially from the unique perch that from where you're at and where you sit on. Where do you think this is going to go? Like at some point, right, they have to limit this transfer window. They have to basically try to create a free agency period. But I think the biggest question is this in all of this, and this is kind of at the heart of, of Saban's point is who's running all of this? Who's doing this? Yeah. Everett has no power nor control anymore. Like, so who, like, who are we answering to at the end of the day? Yeah. I mean, we're answering to ourselves right now at the end of the day. And I think that, when the NCAA basically said that they were going to take a back seat to all of this, they were in hopes that at the conference level, the commissioners would step up and lay some groundwork for all their member institutions. Um, that didn't happen and everything became state law. So literally you're operating in a space right now where there's 50 different laws out there and everybody's way of operating in the space is a little different. So, there's inequities. And I think at the heart of Saban's comment, I think that's what he was referring to. He did a very poor job, but you've heard other head coaches weigh in too, the Kirby smarts of the world. And, you know, even our coach Shane Beamer's weighed in on it too. I mean, there's, there's inequities out there. Um, July 1st, the, the state law in a lot of States is going away. So in South Carolina, at July 1st, our state law goes away, which means that, um, anybody who's an employee of the university can start to help vet and work through these deals. That's one piece of it. That's one aspect of it where a university employee in the athletics department can't have a role in these name image likeness conversations, meaning they can't approach said car dealer and say, Hey, we want to hook you up with athlete. A here's the deal. Sign on the dotted line. That's going to change. So there'll be a little more control there and maybe take some of these nefarious characters out of play a little bit. Um, where I think it really needs to go, I think with Emirates stepping down from the NCAA, I think the NCAA, as they're transitioning with a new president, at the bare minimum, what they need to do is put some sort of salary cap, luxury tax, salary cap, whatever you want to call it. I mean, in whether that's at the conference level or the, the national level, I guess that'd be federal because it'd be a law at that point. But say you have, okay, say the six recruits, the five-star guys went to Texas A&M this year, say they all had million-dollar deals. I think there needs to be some sort of cap saying, okay, if you have a roster of 85 scholarship players, your name, image, likeness, or your sponsorship dollars, here it is. It's $10 million. So if you go out and get six guys at a million dollars each, you got $4 million left to go, you know, do your recruiting class in any given window or current guys on the roster. I think that will help a little bit with the inequities, but it still stands. If yeah, Columbia, South Carolina is not going to compete with an Atlanta, a, a Georgia yeah. Tech when it comes to name image likeness. And that sounds strange coming out of my mouth, but. Atlanta is a metropolitan city, right? I'm not going to compete with Miami. This has been Miami's game since the 80s. They invented this shtick. Like, this is them. They can do it. Jackson State, they got the primetime effect. You know, that's a rare – there's going to be inequities. But if you can cap it, 
I think that's a good start to try and keep it somewhat fair to where it doesn't seem like, okay, you bought that team. Well, I did, yeah. but I had the same rules and the same, you know, cards everybody else had. Really? And this is the thing, too. I mean, you, we can get into the bigger macro discussion about, you know, the cap, capitalism and how it plays and how it creates those inequities, right? inequities, right? Because at the end of the day, it's about survival of the fittest. And if you're weak and you can't survive, then you're going to find yourself falling off and all this, all that. Yeah, yeah, Honestly, like, and all of it, and I can have my own personal views on, you know, capitalism and, and what it means, but this is honestly the best case scenario this is where it should be applied and that's in sports hey man like if you got it go spend it there should be no cap it should just be survival the fittest if these boosters want to come in and they want to pay a kid six hundred thousand and give him a lamborghini to drive him around town do that (laughs) and go and get him and let's get the absolute best of the best that we can get on these football fields and you know what and and actually like because it's been such a long time coming hey man i remember when my uh junior senior year in pine bluff arkansas pine bluff arkansas and i remember <laughs> us at the time like we, we didn't have we couldn't like go out and like you know and not even saying like if it were in today's rage would i be able to go get like a two hundred thousand dollar deal or anything no, sure, sure, sure. but like i just remember going down to the local convenience store thomas groceries is what what it was called and there was a lady a sweet old lady in there mrs thomas still still think about her to this day i love and it she would low-key give us she would give us, she would low key give us free sandwiches, but that was one of the things where like, hey man, if there was an NCAA, you know, you know, watchdog yeah. or someone on there, technically, we could get dinged for that, and the university could get dinged for that because we're accepting free gifts from someone out on the outside that's you know incurring some type of favor, like just a just a fucking sandwich, right? <laughs> you yeah, know, and I'm a hungry broke broke ass college kid, and I couldn't even technically accept a free sandwich. You know, I think the statute of limitations has passed, so I think I can admit it now that I definitely took. Yeah, I think you're good. Sandwiches. So shout out to Mrs. Thomas on that, but uh, but yeah, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's good that we're starting to see the shift a little bit. It's absolutely entertaining to see just how much of the wild wild west this has become, and. You know, I am. I it, it really does because I've been like a casual college football fan. It's something that's going to be interesting this fall when college football rolls back around and being here in Columbus and seeing the Ohio State effect and what this town turns into inevitably. So that's something oh, I'm you're still in for like bearing down the yeah yeah. I mean, you, you, <laughs> you've lived it and experienced it firsthand, yep. so I'll definitely be. Well, we'll have future episodes where we'll talk about that and we'll get into oh, yeah. this a little bit more. But there's no doubt about it. I mean, this is. This has added a whole another layer of intrigue into a sport that's already booming. So, hey man, let's keep yeah. this going. Let, let, let's keep this rolling. I can't yeah. wait to see what this turns we, into. You brought up an interesting point too, and it's kind of a good segue. So you brought up NBA and the free agency mm-hmm. window and everything. Mm-hmm. And I probably have heard the word tampering in the NBA, you know, like all of us a hundred times, obviously. Mm-hmm. I mean, it comes up all the time. It's synonymous with the NBA with free agency, off-season trades, whatever the case may be. I can't think prior to this year a time that I've heard it associated with college football, but I hear the word tampering all the time now in college football because the, the one thing we didn't touch on with this, and we can move on, we can talk about this as it develops, but is that, okay, all these rules, you can put all these things in place, you can say you can try to make it equal. You know, every college football coach, I think, would tell you that their best recruiters are their players. Right. Yeah. I think about when yeah. we were in school, you know, I mean, when I was in when I was still at South Sub playing Juco ball and yeah. you were at Southern down in Baton Rouge, you were trying to get me to come play at Southern Baton Rouge. And that was my yep. freshman year. So technically, I still had another year there. I mean, 
is that tampering? I don't know. I mean, whatever. But all these college football players, they're talking, you know, to each other all the time. Name, image, likeness stuff. They're tampering, and that's how they're getting these guys to come when they're recruits. I mean, there's nothing in play with that. But to me, that's an NBA term. The NBA has a pretty good grasp on it, I feel like. I mean, they catch a lot of this stuff six months later, which is funny to me, but that's another story. But, like, the Lonzo Ball thing came out, like, months after we already threw, you know, a good chunk of the season. But to me, it's it's a lot like NBA free agency. The recruiting, once they get to campus, I mean, there's tampering left and right, and that's going from player to player. So it's interesting. We're going to see how that lands. But Yeah, it's going to be very – because you're right. I mean, some of the – best type of tamperings right are just coming from player to player and is that te- technically tampering that could just be two friends that are talking to one another wanting to get a chance to run it back one last time because they don't know if their pass will cross again and they want to just get a chance to, to play together but is that tampering i don't know, you know. no one's in charge I don't know. you know no it's like when you charge. walk into a store and no one's behind the counter and you're like does anybody work here that's what it's like. If no one's looking, you can steal that bag of Funyuns and walk out. No one's going to catch you. You know? There's no rules. There's no rules. Yes. It's that little Caesars commercial. No, no, there's one rule. You just can't be obvious about it. But let's, uh, let's switch gears to NBA playoff a little bit. We got a big day today. Yeah, man. It's been, uh, if, well, one, I have thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the playoffs this year. I think that um, there was a lot of talk about the NBA really starting to fall off quite a bit because their ratings were down. In fact, the ratings were in the absolute were absolute dumpster fire, especially when you look at that bubble year. Um, right. Which honestly, like that had to be looking back in hindsight i honestly really enjoyed the bubble playoffs for a couple of reasons one they had earlier start times i remember there was like nba playoff games on at like two in the afternoon and i was like this is awesome like i'm here like working and then at the same time like hey man and two like i think that it it was absolute hell for the players i think that's one thing that we're seeing more and more as, as we come out of it and especially more and more the mental health discussion becomes more prominent and a more and we get become more educated on how to talk about it there's a lot of players that have come out and have talked about just how difficult of a time period that was which i completely get right you're sequestered from your family for yeah you know at at most it seemed like i think it was like three months for the heat and the lakers three four months depending on how long um what that total timetable was um you know you're confined plus there's like a absolute devastating deadly virus that's just out ravaging the world to uh, all, all the way around them too as well so you know you're just worried right. about your loved ones so certainly it was it was it, it had a lot of tricky extenuating circumstances but as far as the basketball everyone's playing on the same court same type of sight lines there's no travel so everyone is fully rested as soon as they finish a game you know they can go get their treatment they're back in their room they're back in their hotel room um you know, there's just a lot. It's a very controlled environment. And to me, that basketball was some of the absolute best and purest basketball ever played. So I thoroughly enjoyed it. But even more so now what we're seeing this playoffs, and I think there's one big factor into why this playoffs has been one of the more highly rated. And it's funny because I think it works a little bit backwards, and I want to hear your take on it. No LeBron James. I think the, the fact that, that LeBron is not in this playoffs has – because when he's in it, when he's ever doing anything, right, he is a vacuum of attention, whether whether intentionally or unintentionally, 
can always be argued depending on what he's doing and how he's approaching it. But, and I say this as someone, you know, who is a huge LeBron fan. I am a huge fan of, of not just his career, but his actions that he's done all off the court too as well. But there is no doubt about it. I think that the reason why this playoffs has been as refreshing and as, as highly watched as it has been is he's not in it. And because of that, we've gotten to see some real, real stars emerge. And especially even now here in the Eastern and Western Conference Finals, you know, we're seeing the return of the Golden State Warriors, right? And right now with them up and having a 2-0 lead, we're seeing, you know, potentially an easy run for them back to the finals. But on the other end, you have Luka Doncic, right? And and him going on this incredible run, very LeBron-esque too as well, with the team and cast of characters that he has that he's bringing across the finish line. And then over in the Eastern Conference Finals, you have the Heat, and heat culture and, you know, a real team aspect and all these like undrafted guys, Gabe Vincent, Max Strews, that they that are getting real, real runtime, real burn. And then Jimmy Butler all of a sudden turning into like Michael Jordan, like absolutely like destroying teams. Like he really just raises his level of play when he gets to this time of the year, which is always fascinating to me because it's like, okay, he's like, all right, we're, we're here. This is when the basketball really matters. Now it's time for me to put on my cape. Let me, let me go get these wins. Um, but then, He's additionally facing probably one of the best, if not the best, defensive team that we've seen in quite some time in, in the Boston Celtics. And honestly, what Ime Adoko has done with that Celtics defense has been absolutely incredible. I mean, they are just connected on a string. Jason Tatum is a bona fide all-world superstar right now, not just on the offensive end where mm-hmm. he's been terrific for a number of years. I mean, he came in to the league at 19 years old, a walking bucket. Like, he can go in and get his shot. He's been – he come, he comes straight from the school of Kobe where he's going to hit those tough fadeaways. He's going to work that mid-range game. Like, he's tall. He's lanky. He's strong, too, at the same time. So, he's, he can go and get his right. own bucket. But that team right now, I mean, especially the beatdown they just put in Miami. So, it's going to be interesting right. to see how they respond tonight in Boston. Um, it's going to be fascinating. But, yeah, what, what are your thoughts here on the NBA playoffs and what, what have you seen? Yeah, and I'll touch on a couple of things you said. I think the first being that I agree with you 100% that LeBron is a vacuum of attention. I think that's the perfect way to not villainize him. But to me, if I'm LeBron and you're calling me a vacuum of attention, I would say you're villainizing me because of what you continued on to say. There's so many good players in this league and there's so much talent. And while obviously LeBron prides himself on being the best and it's his league, he always wants to position himself at the top, right? I think he'd be the first one to tell you that across the board, there's so much talent in this league. So while, yeah, pay attention to me because I'm the best, you know, give Luca that attention, you know, give Jimmy that attention down there, give Tatum that attention too. And I feel like it has helped as the casual fan, you know, you either, LeBron is like the professor you had in college that you felt inclined to go on rate my professor and give a review to. You either love the professor, so you're giving him five stars, or you either hated him, so you're giving him the worst review ever. There's like no in-between with LeBron, I feel like. So that's for the people that hate point. him. I've never met just a casual LeBron, like someone that's just like, yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, he's okay. I don't, you know, it's like, no, it's pretty visceral one way or yeah, there's like no in between there. So I feel like for the people that can't stand LeBron, it's second he's in the playoffs and the NBA's on, they're like, oh, I'm not watching it just because LeBron's involved. It's That's a weird conundrum, I guess. Or, yeah, exactly. 
So I feel like maybe for the casual fan this year who knows LeBron isn't in it, they're almost happy it didn't work out for him or what that Lakers team went through. So they're locked in, which inadvertently has, has keyed them in on, you know, now that we're close to the end here on four teams that I think they're four teams that are really good for the NBA. I think having the Warriors kind of, you know, that resurgence and making it seem like it wasn't just a flash in the pan, moving on from those Durant years to where, you know, that was all shocking to, I think, to everybody in the sports world when, when he went and what they did. And then, you know, whenever the Celtics are good, you know, I'm not a Boston sports guy, but whenever the Celtics are good, I think that's great for basketball. Obviously, you know, it's just, it's a special franchise. And that's a, the pageantry they have. Right. Yep. Yeah, they're one of them, you know, and I, I feel like, you know, the Mavericks with, with Cuban for all these years and going back to Dirk and, and Steve Nash, like they're another one. It's like, that's good to have them where they're at. Oh, and on top yeah. of it, in Dallas, Texas, you have yeah. Luca, who is like, yeah. you know, next level. He looks top. like the next, yeah, he, he's, he's, he, I mean, he's got to be, he's going to, he's one of those players, right, that's going to challenge. I mean, right now, I think we can both say pretty confidently the best player in the NBA has got to be Giannis. Like, what he showed 100%. and what he did against the Boston Celtics. And, like, that's more of a testament to the Boston Celtics and how great their defense is. Right, that they, you know, that they were able to do that, stick together, and especially in a series where it really right. came in, the Bucks are still going to figure out some way to pull this out. But because of just how great Giannis was, I think that Giannis is the best player. But hey, man, a couple of years, I wouldn't be surprised if we're talking, not even in a couple of years. Let's, let's see how next year goes and see, because Luca has that type of talent. The main thing with him lies the defense. Um, and right. I think that's what it takes. You got to be great on both ends of the court. And that's why you think you're seeing Tatum get as much plug and as much run right now. Uh, and people are talking about him as much because of how dominant he's been on offense and he's been fairly locked in on defense too as well. And that's just mm-hmm. playoff basketball for you. But yeah, I, you, I mean, that's the thing that's going to be so interesting here to, to see is that we have so many like top tier, top level guys. And especially too as well, like you get, I mean, we have a multitude of storylines still remaining. You have Miami and South Beach and Heat Culture. You right. know, you got a really bitter rivalry between them and the Celtics. I was listening on the Levitard show. They talked about how, and actually it ended up being, it's, it's a pretty true statement when you think about it, but in the 21st century, so really accounting for, say, really just in the last decade, decade plus, um, the Heat and the Celtics are probably the two more successful Eastern Conference franchises, right? I mean, you had the right. Heat that were just recently in the championship back in 2020, um, a team that had LeBron at the early part of the decade and the, and, and, and the, the big three and what they were able to do and to accomplish through that. And honestly, what Pat Riley has been able to build out there is pretty substantial since the time that he was able to get down there and take that and leave its imprint on. So you have the Miami team that's relevant. You have Boston and all of Boston, you know, and that to me is one of the more fascinating things is the fact that Brad Stevens left, decided to go and basically take Danny Ainge's job. Yeah, <laughs> I don't right, know how exactly. to know the background on like how that all came mm. to be. Danny Ainge is like, yeah, I'm out. And then Brad Stevens is like, all right, I'm going to move up. It's working. And, and, and it's worked, and they got Emeo Doku in there. And, you know, the biggest thing is, more than anything, it's like Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, they're going to look at Brad Stevens if he's trying to challenge them. Yeah, Brad Stevens is a great coach. Brad Stevens was and, and still is a really, really good coach. Like, he, yeah. you could tell, like, he really got that Boston team and took them to perennial playoff, playoff contenders, no doubt right. about it. 
But at the end of the day, especially when you're thinking about early in the season when you really need to challenge the team, are they going to really like look at Brad Stevens and respect Brad Stevens as much as they're going to look at Ime Udoku and look at him? And, and right, like, of course. Are you going to tell him no? <laughs> you going to tell him, like, no. if he's calling you out and calling you soft, you're going to be like, nah, fuck you. Nah, you're going to probably be like, yeah, all right. And that's really what you see. This Boston team is fucking tough. And you got to know that fucking arrogant Celtics fans are absolutely loving this shit right now. And there's nothing oh, yeah. worse to me. Nothing worse to me than a No. It's interesting, Celtics. though, because Brad Stevens kind of knew his shelf life, I feel like. I feel yeah. I, I think if – when this is all said and done, I'd be time. interested – what's that? Awareness on 10 for him, right? He realized, okay, oh, 100%. this is probably the furthest I'm going to take this team. Yeah. Let me go kick it upstairs. I know how to build this roster because I dealt with these players. And that's the thing, too. That roster is pretty damn deep. I mean, they found a guy – I mean, <laughs> Peyton Pritchard. Is that any more better of a Boston Celtic? Oh, no. I bet you were, there's going to be so many Pritchard jerseys out <laughs> in and around yeah. Massachusetts this summer <laughs> because of what this kid is doing. <laughs> The little Oregon duck that could. They sent him out to the big city in Boston. And oh, the dude just like files right in line. He's a hooper, they're man. All, He's... They're already feel, figuring out how to retire his jersey, man. I know. <laughs> I know. I'll say this, though. I didn't touch on anything Miami Heat related. What I was going to say yeah. was that in Dallas with Luca and everything, I said it's. I think it's really good for the game with, with how he is and how he makes everybody around him better. You know, mm-hmm. I said that roster, I mean, you look at it, you're like, huh? You know, but I mean, yeah. Luca just—he makes everybody on him better, which is awesome. Yeah. And I feel like that's that's good for the game to see. That's the—I don't want to say that's the anti-LeBron, but for the LeBron hater, they think it's all about me, me, me. Luca's just—I mean, Luca's next level right now, and he's making all these guys around him so much better. So I think they're a fun team to watch. Even I know they're down, obviously, two zero, and that's—you know—they got a ways to go there, but still. But Miami. I started this and I said all four of these teams being where they're at is good for the game. I think Miami is especially good for the game based on what you just said about them and the Celtics being probably the most successful, obviously, in the last decade or so. But mm-hmm. Miami is the one place that LeBron has left in like his wake, it seems like, has not been felt. Yeah. I mean, yeah. think yeah. about it. Like when Spolster yeah. was when Spolster was his coach, I mean, mm-hmm. Spolster's he's a great coach. He, mm-hmm. it's, it's plain and simple. That dude Top is a unbelievable coach. The all, all time. Exactly. Everybody else that all these other teams LeBron's been on, look at all the coaching changes while he's been there after GMs, this and that. I mean, Cleveland was a mess there when he left yeah. again for a while. They still kind of are. Yeah. I mean, they're turning a the corner yeah. a little bit, but they're turning Miami the corner, but think about how long it. it took. Yeah, exactly. Miami didn't miss a beat. Truthfully. I mean, that's yeah. it, but that's wild to me because everywhere else, it hasn't panned out. Oh, and on top of it, Spolster is still there, and he's still yeah. able to manage. You know, Mario yeah. Chalmers isn't running out of the, off the bench. Dwayne Wade's gone. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, he's yeah. they have restocked and reloaded, and he's managed all – he's managed Jimmy Butler. You know what I'm saying? He's managed Bam, Whoa. who everybody I thought thought he was a little soft when he got in the league. I mean, yeah. Bam's a grown-ass man. I mean, he's he unbelievable. Is. Yeah, you know, he, so his defensive work in the last series there against Embiid, um, offensively, right? He still can have those times and those games where he disappears a little bit. But I mean, defensively, you know what you're gonna get. He's gonna go out there, and yeah, whether it's Embiid, who arguably is, who who arguably could have been the MVP this year, uh, if not right. Nikola Jokic, like in the 
defensive job that he does on those top tier level big men, that is an invaluable asset to be able to have, especially a guy like him. Hundred percent. So, yeah, they've done an incredible, incredible job. They had some incredibly bloated contracts. Tyler Johnson comes to mind. I know they gave him a pretty big extension. What's this? Uh, Hassan Whiteside. <laughs> they gave that man a ton of money. So, like, th- that's the thing too. This franchise has made its mistakes post LeBron, right? But the one thing oh, that consistent is they remained competitive. So like that first year after LeBron left, I'm not if I'm not mistaken, they actually went to the playoffs that year. It was like a seventh or eighth seed. So like still right. were able to have competitive basketball. I think they made maybe the year after that and maybe for the next couple of years they were a little bit like treading water, trying to figure it out. And then around five hundred I can look up the specific stats, but but then after that, right, they turned basically zero type of cap room. Saw a guy like Jimmy Butler was available. And to this day, I still have no idea what cap wizardry they were able to do to pull that off. But then all of a sudden, they, <laughs> right. turned that into, they turned that into being able to sign Jimmy Butler. And you saw that directly what that impact ended up being. Because if Jimmy's in Philly, then Philly definitely went that last series. No questions asked. Jimmy and Joel, like that's a, that's a dynamic duo. You could see those guys still have a massive love affair with one another. Like, Wouldn't be surprised if we see them later down the road somehow get back together one way or another. Whereas... Philly then lets go of Jimmy Butler effectively, I guess, according to Jimmy Butler in, in his post game or his, uh, as he was walking yeah. to the locker room in his comments and talked about, all right, Hey, like y'all chose Tobias Harris over me and calling them out for it, which yeah, looks absolutely horrendous in high hindsight. Like how could you let this guy go off right. your roster, go to Miami. And now he is directly responsible for eliminating your yeah. team and, and kicking them out and kicking them out of the playoffs and now leaving that franchise in, in the absolute like disarray like that Philly friend we could talk about that for another like <laughs> two hours and the whole oh. Philly collapsed because I think that to me is one of the more fascinating sub story subplots and in, in going on in the NBA right now and what that's going to happen here in the offseason but no man I think uh you know I, I one thing one thing too and you know because I know here we we did want to try to keep these short, but I definitely want to touch a little bit here on the baseball piece, and, and especially given that that's our background, and you know that's really where our love affair is at uh, when it comes to the sporting world. I read an interesting article about Nolan Arenado um, and talking about how last year, and still had a great year last year, right? It was an All Star, oh, yeah. like you know, still still turned in a really really strong year. Cardinals, especially down the stretch, right, looked absolutely unbeatable. It wasn't honestly for them having to run, which the whole playoff structure last year the, um, in the NL was kind of wonky, right? Because because Nolan mm. Arenado uh, or not Nolan, because the Cardinals go on that massive winning streak, make the playoffs, and their and their wild card opponent, the 106 win Dodgers. Like yeah, right, <laughs> that's exactly. where you get to play. For, and to me, I think <laughs> that's the reason why the Dodgers um, ended up flaming out and not winning the whole damn thing last year is because they had to go through the Cardinals, who were the hottest team in baseball, and then they had to play the Giants, who basically was like their absolute arch nemesis um, all year long and literally matched them tit for tat last year, which is still an incredible yeah. subplot of a story. But I give all that context and background because they had a really good year. Nolan Arenado had a really good year. And then he decided, he was like, no, I need to be better. Like it's, there were just some days I didn't feel consistent. And I like, so he went on this crazy long round journey. It's a really awesome article in the athletic highly encourage um, either to go back and, and, and read it or, or to get a chance to mm-hmm. check it out. But Man, it's just awesome to just just to kind of see that. Hey, after it's all said and done, you know, even having a good year, he's like, nah, man, I, I, I there's, there's more I need to work on. There's more I need to do. Yeah, he's uh, 
he's the kind of guy that I feel like a lot of people hate Cardinal Nation for having and parading around and throwing in your face, but he's the kind of guy, if you're a baseball fan, that you just love because he's he signed some big contracts. Absolutely. But I mean, the guy hits 30 bombs and 100 RBIs last year, and he basically he goes into the offseason and says, well, that wasn't good enough. And I'm not just going to work on, you know, my swing and this and that and my body. Like he went out and like he did, he started with, he started with his bat. So, you know, he said he was like all jumpy in the box. And, you know, when he, when he gets in the box, he's got this weird, he doesn't have like a, a toe tap when he's getting ready. He, he, he has happy feet with like both his feet. I mean, he's literally doing like a march and he's marching in the box until he finally comes set loads and he goes. And he said he was just so jumpy last year and he felt like, well, I'm also getting older. So I'm probably not as quick twitch as I used to be. So I'm probably doing a lot of the same stuff with my March, but my bad's dragging. Cause let's be real, you know, father time, you can't stop that. So he went right. down, like he went down to Marucci and they started working on his bat and he ended up and you know, we can pull up a picture of this here at some point, but he ended up getting this knob on his bat. And I mean, it's like, you know, those, you remember those uh, bats that he used to swing in the on deck circle. It was the black handle silver rod. You can move the weight up and down. Like yes. for like a, yeah. it was like a, it was like a donut pretty much, but it was yeah. this metal rod where you but can move the weight. To it. Yeah, exactly. It, it has right? like, yeah, you spin it up or down wherever. Mm-hmm. He has at the bottom of his knob is, I mean, it's like three hockey pucks. It looks like stacked up on top of each other. And like, that's his knob of his bat. He needed, he wanted more weight, like where his hands are. So when he starts going, like he's going and that bat's dragging on plane versus him, like trying to play catch up. I mean, and the only reason, and I sure, I'm sure I explained that wrong. I was listening to him talk about it after I read that article, but he went up to um, driveline and yeah. obviously driveline has gotten their name out there and become the factory when it comes to pitchers and everything, but they've come a long way with their hitters and whatnot. And I mean, he spent, you know, he's a California guy. So he went up there and he spent, said about a month doing all this training and, you know, like the, the video game simulation stuff, where they're putting the balls on him and they're, he's getting all these readings and he keyed in after that with Marucci on, you know, it's your hand path. It's like, it doesn't matter the timing of your March and everything else you know, your bat getting through the zone is the most important thing. And in your mind, you're trying to play catch up. You're good. Let's put this weight on there and, and change the knob of your bat. And I bet you feel different. And I mean, to me, that's wild because like, that's, I, I don't know. That's like, if you're a golfer and you use like all these crazy trinkets of the driving range and stuff, and you're like, okay, well now you're going to go play Augusta national with that. You'd be like, no, I don't want to play with that. Like, this is just my, yeah, my yeah. training tool. This is just but how I like, train. Yeah, he had like, it's almost like, it's like NASCAR. He had something like installed to like help. And he was that keen on the process. And he, he could, and I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but I felt this way when I was playing at least, that Nolan Arenado was in tune enough to put into words what he was feeling to where he could then track down the science and everything to make make it make sense and have a solution like when I was playing if I was working on my swing and stuff that was always the hardest thing for me if I was 
getting coached up. I couldn't put into words if something felt off or what it felt. You just feel it, you know, but the dude is so locked in. That is the absolute most, in my, in my opinion, the greatest skill you can have is being able to effectively communicate what Mm -hmm. your issue is. Not even just in baseball, right? Just in life in professional work life and what you're trying to do. Um, you know, but especially in this specific scenario, I, yeah, I, that, that was always my biggest thing as a pitcher is I can never explain. I could feel, cause like my biggest thing was, you know, I've, I've always been about six foot, six foot one. My playing weight was around like 195 to 205, somewhere in and around there. And I felt like yeah. I was a pretty big dude, fairly athletic, but I can never figure out how to generate enough power because I felt like I should throw a hell of a lot harder. I threw hard in Little League, and then all of a sure. sudden I got to, like, towards the end of high school and especially in college, and it's like my arm and my body, and, you, and even to the point where I felt – because I'll never forget it. I think it was my sophomore year of high school, and I, at this point, like, I'm starting to get adjusted. I'm starting to get a little bit bigger, but I'm like – I don't feel like I'm throwing – I'm not – I'm not tracking. If I want to be a professional baseball player, I feel like I should be between 85 to 87 right now. And I'm probably like 75 throwing right now. And I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. My body, why am I not being able to translate that? I remember going to my uh, physics teacher at the time, uh, Mr. Dvorkin, shout out to Mr. Dvorkin, wherever he's at right now. Oh man, that's a name drop. Yeah. You like that (laughs) right there. (laughs) And I remember asking him after class one day and I was like, Hey, like, is there a way you can help me throw harder? Like we're talking about all this physics stuff. Like there's gotta be some way to like do that. And I never, and I'll never forget. He was like, that's more like biomechanics and stuff like that. Like each, each, the human body, each human body is individually different. Like that's just way too tough to, to yeah. try to do. And I just kind of was like, yeah, all right, no, that makes sense. And just kind of went on my way. And then, yeah, we see like fast forward five, you know, five to 10 years, the driveline evolution and, 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 and what, basically what comes from that because i remember one of my keyest points and god bless him like marvin freeman 10 year 10 year pitching vet absolute incredible pitching instructor and pitching coach probably the main reason that i was able to get to college because he was able to clean up a lot of my mechanics and get me to that point and his main thing was how to pitch and that's the one thing that yeah I, i felt that i became a 10 times better pitcher but there still is the velocity factor that needs to happen and to bring yeah. it full circle right back to Nolan and, and, and everything you're able to do. Right. It's like he figured out how to effectively communicate what was troubling him and what his, and what he needed to do to get himself to be a more consistent player more than anything. And I think when you can do that, when you can effectively communicate what you're having issues with and what you're looking to do to try to correct that, then whoever is the expert, whoever is the person that can help you can come in and be like, Hey, try this or, Hey, let's try to fidget with this or, Hey, let's try to do it this way. And that to me can make all the difference between, yeah, you know, you're, you're, you're an okay ball player. You're good. You're at the major league level to like, all right, you're going to be a continued perennial all-star MLB superstar because outside of that, like you have, I, you know, one of, and granted it could be probably a few more classes, but to me it's one or two classes. You're just naturally gifted and the game of baseball comes easy to you. And like, whether you're having a, uh, uh even when you're in a slump, it's like, whatever, you just need reps eventually going to come out of it. And then there's the guys that are like, they have to absolutely grind for every single at bat. They have to absolutely grind for every single pitch. Mm-hmm. They, they just are not naturally gifted, but they just absolutely outwork the competition. And a big part of outworking the competition is knowing what you need to work on. And that's such a that's that can be such a yeah. difficult thing to know and to learn, especially in a game that's as specialized as baseball can be. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I mean, is 
as specialized as it is and as hard as it is to hit a baseball, you look at his numbers and you're like, dude, what are you mad about? Like, you just had an unbelievable year. Like, I get you're out of Colorado now. You're not playing in a phone booth anymore. You know what I mean? Like, I understand that side of it. But, like, I don't think anyone's upset with you for the numbers you just put up. But, I mean, trying to go from, like, 290 to like becoming a 320 hitter if you're in like high school or college like there's some things you can do like in real time and you know you can probably get your batting average up 10 20 30 points pretty quickly level competition is lower there's more margin of error whatever mm-hmm. the fact that the umpire in the zones and things into that too mm-hmm. like there's a million things probably easier mm-hmm. but for him to to key in on that stuff i mean you're talking about like five six seven eight probably percentage points under batting average and things yeah. like that like that is so hard to do in the major leagues yeah. but it's like he didn't care he saw a yeah. path forward and it's shown this year I mean his numbers are off the chart this year and just you know ball the bat skills and everything but I can't get away from talking about Nolan Arenado because when you put this topic on our little tracking doc to before we were going to record this last week yeah. you know how I, I I love Colorado. I love Denver. It's one of my favorite cities in the world. I'm yeah, always fantastic. so hard on the Colorado. Yeah, I'm always so hard on the Colorado Rockies because so. it's a pro sports town. They can't yeah. figure it out. Yeah. Whatever. I always hate on them. So you know this, and I'm sorry if anybody's a Rockies fan out there for a multitude of reasons. But I'm sorry for what I'm about to say <laughs> is that you look at a Nolan Arenado. So when we got Arenado. And you remember, Stan, I was jumping for joy. We wanted him yeah. so bad for how many yeah. years. It comes out that he was sending videos to guys on the team, on the Cardinals. He was friends with saying, hey, share this with Mo, the Cardinals GM. Share this. Mm-hmm. Like, the dude wanted to be here. They finally figured it out. And then, obviously, your mind, you get greedy. And you're like, oh, Trevor Story's coming down the pipeline. Like, yeah. can you imagine yeah. if we end up with Trevor Story? And then it's like, all right, Rockies, like, look, this is what you were supposed to do with that left yeah. side of your infield. Yeah. But fast forward, Cardinals don't end up getting Trevor Story. Um, about a week ago, he was still struggling mightily. Mm-hmm. He's now yeah. stepping up, and he's out of his mind right now at the plate. Yeah, he, um, he had an absolute career game the other day. Yeah, but my point with all this is is that it always seems like with the Rockies, go all the way back to 07-08 after they went to the mm-hmm. World Series, um, they always have a fire sale, okay? And mm-hmm. people talk about the Coors effect, and I want to get your opinion on this. Out of the guys that are always on the board for this fire sale, there's always only one of them, I feel like, that's like the right one you hit on. The other ones, it's like hit or miss. And I'm saying this bias as a Cardinals fan, but like after the World Series with the Rockies, it was Matt Holiday, Cargo, and Charlie Blackman were on that team. Mm, great names. Cargo, nothing ever happened. Cardinals scooped yeah. up Holiday. He pans out. Blackman's a lifer because I think the stats show he just plays well in that ballpark. Then you fast forward to the Arenado, Troy Tulowitzki. Then Troy Tulowitzki gets hurt. Yeah lower body something if i'm remembering correctly mm-hmm. trevor story comes up and hits like 10 bombs in a month yeah. and everybody's yeah. like holy shit just like placed, just they got another quick. one yeah yeah tula Whitsky didn't pan out outside of colorado granted he got hurt arenado yeah. did up until about a week ago you get trevor story out of colorado and you're like this dude can't play at all like, what's wrong yeah. with this guy so that's yeah. a it's a weird thing with the rockies where it's like always 
they got this talent, but maybe they're not that good out of course. Yeah, they're they're always going to fight that. Every prospect and any – and that's the thing too, right? Because we can see sometimes – and I don't have any specific examples offhand, uh, but you can see that in the opposite with some of the pitchers sometimes, right, when they finally leave Colorado and their ERA can be a little bit better, right, because it's the exact opposite of the hitters. But, yeah, I think that is – it's funny because they are a team, right, that – and an organization – they really sh- – I don't know what goes into – I'd be fascinated to talk to their GM and to get a chance and some insight on, you know, how they go about building their team, roster construction, what they're looking for. Because to me, it's like, hey, we should just fill this team with a bunch of guys with some incredible pop, especially in today's day and age where it's strikeout or home run. Give me like nine of those guys there in the lineup because well, let's just try to outslug people. And you know what? Because if nothing else, if we're losing games 12 to 10, 11 to 9, Seven to six, who can like the entertaining value is going to be through the roof, you know, especially in a field like right. Coors. And it's like, hey, man, if you're not going to be able to build a championship contender, which to me, I think that that is arguably one of the harder ballparks and franchises to do that in because of the specifics of where they play and how they deal with that. Um, mm-hmm. I think that that's always going to be a unique challenge for them. So if you can't really build a, because you know, and, and that's the thing too, like maybe one year you'll, you'll catch lightning in a bottle. Same thing, like, like what happened in 07 and 08 with Rocktober, but just go build, just go get a bunch of guys that can absolutely smoke the ball and make some entertaining baseball to happen. Cause the other part that really works to their detriment, right? They play in the NLS and that, that division is an absolute juggernaut over the last like six to seven years between what the Dodgers have done, basically stealing Andrew Friedman from Tampa and basically taking the Tampa model and injecting mm-hmm. a $200 million budget into it, right? It's soon to be $300 million budget over the next few years and giving him the, the opportunity to go into to build a, a team like that. So that team's always going to be at the top, if not one of the better teams in baseball. You got the Padres, and that's honestly, that was a sleeping giant for the longest because after finally getting a chance to visit San Diego, I was like, Oh, this makes sense why Manny Machado chose this over the White Sox. Oh, this makes sense why Eric Hosmer came and, and took the initial money and left Kansas City, even though the opportunities on either side, right, between Machado coming over to the White Sox and, and being a part of the rebuild, especially as it was starting to turn a corner, or Hosmer just being a career Kansas City lifer and, and, yeah. and, and maybe taking a little bit of a discount, but hey, man, you're going to be a legend in that city and in that town. Still is, but even more so forever. But it's like, Oh, no, I see why players would forego and whatever money and be like, yeah, I'm going to come over to San Diego because that place is absolutely gorgeous and beautiful. So you're going to have San Diego. Like Tony Gwynn. Exactly. You're going to – Tony Gwynn gave him the hometown discount how many years in a row. You know what I mean? (laughs) And and you know what? I don't blame him one bit after being out there, right? Like give me just enough to to have a good cost of living and and live a little bit like a king, and yeah, I'll I'll, I'll be all right. I can make it work out there. And then you've now got the Giants who all of a sudden are – and it's actually a very – there was a fascinating podcast, ESPN Daily, that they were talking – they had um, one of the reporters for the Giants. They were talking – they were doing a backstory on Gabe Kapler, and I didn't know how unique and how – of eccentric he is um I yeah. think they said that his dad was a english professor or some type basically like his family is is a very non non-baseball non-sports family Maybe yeah he's got an eclectic background discuss- for sure yeah he would have philosophical discussions with his parents growing up and like very very out of the box type th- type of thinking and his new strategy that he's trying to implement where he's like hey man like i don't care if we're up by 10 runs like 
in the game of baseball, especially when we're talking about the war of attrition, it's like, hey, if I have a chance to like absolutely decimate your bullpen and it's the first game of the series or the second game of the series, yeah, I'm going to keep it going. Like, keep your foot on the gas because this is only going to give us an advantage for tomorrow. And it's like, right, yeah, that makes actually a ton of sense. So now you have that going on over in Tampa, which also, hey, you got another uh, Dodger disciple, Farhan Zahadi, who's who's running the Giants front office now too as right. well. So he's bringing that same type of mentality in, in roster construction. And you saw how that panned out here last year with them having a team of, wait, who is that guy? And they won how many games? Like, it's just, it, it's an incredible thing that they've been able to put together over there. So you got all of those factors, all of those teams building everything that they've got going, and then you've got the you can't win with me like you can't really win if you're them so if that's going to be the case and you're going to have to go up against this year in and year out and and as you said and as you let off with like denver is an awesome city absolutely fantastic beautiful like it it is a pristine place to live i think out of all those cities it's right up there with all of them and and can certainly Mm -hmm. make an arguable case for why you should go there and be in and play for the Rockies but if I'm them man I'm just gonna be like hey let's go try and draft a bunch of guys that can just absolutely rake figure out the defense figure out the pitching to the best we can but let's try and put an entertaining product out there because if nothing else right let's go try to put up you know let's try and go break some records with with, with offensive struggles you know with the offense and see what Agreed. we can do and see if maybe every every once in a while we can luck our way into the postseason and once again to the postseason right anything can happen all bets are off yeah, so before oh, we leave the Rockies here, I want to hear about your White Sox, but um, I'll say this. I'm all for the Rockies running nine guys out there that look like Glenn Allen Hill or Giancarlo Stanton and just <laughs> saying forget defense and just turn it into a home Glenn run derby. Allen so yes, I'm yes. all behind that idea. You know, or remember uh, Kyle Blanks on the Padres? He was just like a oh moose. God, yes. I mean, the dude was yes, like absolutely. 6'7", 280, and it was just like, this dude is like a uh, tight end. Like, he's whatever. I'm all in on the Rockies Richie doing Saxon that, out there. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. Or yes, uh, Willie yes. Mopena. I mean, just get like eight of him. Lyle Overbay. <laughs> Lyle Overbay, yeah, big dude. Yeah, <laughs> Willie Mopena. That's a good yes, one. All right. Yes, yes. But uh, the Rockies are 18 and 19. They're in last mm-hmm. place in the West, buying the Diamondbacks, which is hard to believe because the Diamondbacks are just as bad. Yeah, yeah you know. I you take the Rockies. The Diamondbacks. <laughs> No, you take the diamond, you take the Rockies at 18 and 19, they'd be in third in the central. Mm-hmm. They'd be tied for third with the Braves in the east. Mm-hmm. But they're in last place in the NL West because but you have the Dodgers, place. Padres, and Giants. All with 26. It's interesting. And 22 wins respectively. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's interesting. It's, it's just. It's kind of it's just the kind of shitty hand that they're that they're dealt. Granted, now with expanded postseason, uh, you know maybe they'll have a chance over the next couple of years to build something and to maybe try to get some momentum into trying to figure out how we can make our team more competitive and and and, and sneak into one of those final playoff spots. But I don't know. It's I, I, this is something I did not anticipate today talking about the Rockies as much as we have today. But uh, I, I've enjoyed it. I liked it a lot. <laughs> It's funny you cover something we didn't think we were gonna get into, but exactly. let me uh, let me hear about your White Sox at nineteen yeah. and nineteen chasing the it's, Twins. What are your thoughts it's, here? It's amazing, man. Um, I actually was having a really good conversation with my with uh, my my good buddy Boyle over at the White Sox uh, ticket sales extraordinaire, um, 
and I always enjoy talking to him because I feel like him and I are very much in this cut from the same oak when we're taking and looking at this team that is currently 19 and 19 here on the year and trying to figure figure out their way, dealing with some injuries here and there. But overall, um, a lot there's a lot of panic right now on Twitter with with the White Sox fan base. A lot of people that are kind of writing this team off or or chastising. Uh, GM Rakan or getting after Jerry and, you know, the same old tired old cliches of he's cheap, he's not spending. And yeah, there's some, there could be some validity to that here and there. But honestly, overall, I'm actually not too upset with the season. It's May, it's May 21st for, for crying out loud. So like we had the, the game, the, the season is 162 games long and there's still 500 granted the, and no one in the central is running away with the division right now. I mean, they're only three and a half games back of the twins and I don't feel honestly all that threatened by them the one thing that does stick out they do have a negative run differential minus 27 right now so that part never really lends to mm. showing that this team is any type of competitive or really good um because you'd rather kind of see that especially if they're a 500 team be in and around even if they're going to be that just to kind of show right but to me it's like listen you got to tread water at this point when it comes to with the kind of start that they've had and my philosophy, and I think where you see winning teams and winning organizations year in and year out um, and how their rosters are built and how their seasons overall go is, hey, you just have to tread water, be five, play 500 ball for a good chunk of the season, and then roll off two or three long winning streaks of seven games or more. You do that, all of a sudden you look up, you got a hundred, you got a, you've won a hundred games or you've won ninety plus games. You're going into the postseason and you're doing okay. And that's kind of largely what they've done. They had one really bad losing streak early on in the season. They lost seven or eight games yeah. in a row, but then they bounced back and won six games in a row, a couple um, like a week or two later, um, which got them kind of back in and around with. And then they just played, they played back and forth five hundred ball. They've had some really bad ugly losses. I mean, the Yankees look absolutely incredible right now. They have their hitting has been on another level. My uh, yeah. My main brother, Giancarlo Stanton, is having an early MVP season, and, and Aaron Judge right now is trying to get everyone – is basically telling the Yankees to open up that checkbook and stop being cheap and pay me for 10 years, $300 million. I don't care if I'm 31. Like, I'm going to be really fucking good for a long time. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's tough when you get your ass kicked by the Yankees, right? No one likes to, no one likes to have that happen, but – I'm not too too worried. I mean, it's still early on. This team has a lot of has a lot of work to do to add at the deadline, and I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. But overall, once we get guys back and we can get guys healthy, thinking of Lance Lynn, Eloy Jimenez, we can get those guys back into it. Even Aaron Bummer, who's still on the uh, on the IL right now, um, you know, we get some of those guys back. I think that this team can turn it around. And just for now, it's just like, hey man, hang tight. You know, if we're gonna lose this game. That's all right. Next day, let's go back and let's let's try and figure out any way to win that, and let's just continue to either you know win ser win series after series after series, and just continue to play good five hundred ball. So yeah, I that that panic button is so so far away from me right now. Now if it's like middle of July and we're about ten games back and we're about ten or fifteen games under five, even if we are five hundred, but say that run differential, which I try to play pretty close attention to, is if that number's like in a in a deep like negative thirty, negative forty, you know, run differential, then I'll be a little bit concerned because at some point, right, you got to start to see that turn around. Um, but yeah, no panic here, not yet. I'm I'm certainly some of the games are tough to watch, but you know, it's May it's May twenty first. We we got a long, 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 long time, long way to go. So we'll uh, 
we'll, we'll, we'll keep the faith here. But right now, you know, they're they're only down three runs, six to three here in the bottom of the fourth. They were down at one point five nothing. So you know that, and we got Dallas Keuchel available. So you know, this is not a game that I would early on anticipate us being able to sneak away and to steal. Um, but you know, right. I figure if we can get, if we can sneak, you know, at least one win out of this series and, and, and get out of here and get back home, we'll be all right. It's interesting when it comes to sports. I feel like Twitter is a really good place for mass hysteria and uh, <laughs> pressing the panic button like way too early. But then it seems like for things that you should be panicked about and have yeah. mass hysteria, Twitter is like full of researchers and everybody else that <sighs> seem to control the narrative that's neither here nor there but it's and funny you say that so it's, it's, it's even more so it's hilarious because people treat twitter so much as real life people you know not just right. about sports but like everything but like especially about sports like you see an opinion on there and like I, that's one thing that i've always been i think pretty good at over the last few years is not really engaging as much when I'm, i don't tweet as i don't tweet a ton like i you know here and there i'll I'll throw up a retweet or I'll comment on something um, here and there. Usually, you know, some of the fan K people are still pretty active on there. So I'll engage with sure. some stuff, but yeah, other than that, like, especially when it comes to like, you know, joining White Sox Twitter and getting into those discussions or, or even Bulls Twitter or any of those, you know, sports, sports centric Twitters. It's like, yeah, no, I don't want to engage because none of this is real life. You guys are all just like, you see one game, you see, you know, it, it like, uh, what was that? That was like a, a week or two ago. Sox blew a, a six-run lead, and it was – you thought the world was fucking ending. You thought that they had just lost the world. Is that series. Naylor? And yes, yeah, that's the Naylor Was that game. the Naylor that's, game? That, that was the Naylor game, mm. yeah. When he uh, when he had, what was that, like six RBIs and had the game-tying grand slam in the, in the top of the ninth inning, and, you know, pretty much the, the whole – don't get me wrong. It was a terrible, terrible loss. I mean, for Liam Hendricks, yeah. two outs in the top of the ninth inning, yeah, granted, bases loaded, and he was not even scheduled to get up because they took a, a pretty commanding lead in the in the bottom of the eighth inning. So I'm sure he put his glove down. He was chilling. He wasn't thinking about it all coming into the game. Then all of a sudden, you know, he has to come in and try to get a couple outs, gets one, and then gives up the grand slam, and then eventually all the momentum is gone. So, yeah, there was no way they were going to win that game. Um, but still, it's like, whatever. It's one game. Like, yeah, no, this really, really sucks. It This right. one actually hurts a lot. But – that's the beautiful thing about baseball. Tomorrow's a new day, and who cares? This this was just whether they exactly. lost that game in the bot in the bottom of the tenth inning or lost this game in the bottom of the second inning, right? And they just went on a tear and blew us out. An L is an L at the end of the day. But what are you going to do the next day? How are you going to show up? And so far, like I said, they're five hundred, so I'm not too too worried. It'd be great now if they lose the division by one game and miss out on the playoffs. I'll probably we'll probably be having a different discussion. Well, yeah, I'll probably, of course. Go, I'll probably go on a rant for about that game for about a probably for a whole episode. But uh, before the time being, we're going to keep the optimism and hope that uh, this team can can finally figure it out, get on a big roll, and and see where we can end up and, and land here. So we'll be all right. We gonna be all right. Yeah, I think that's the right mindset because me personally, looking at that division and you know seeing kind of early on here, like you said, it's May twenty first. If I'm buying stock, I'm buying it in the White Sox. I'm not buying it in the Twins. I don't think they can sustain kind of what they're what they're being able to do uh, right now. I still think there's a lot of question marks on that team. Gary Sanchez is like out of his mind right now hitting for them. And just as good as he's doing right now, he can go legally blind here in the next 10 days and yeah, not hit yeah, again. That, so, that I mean, coming, right? 
they got some uh, they got some guys that are overperforming. Where I think the White Sox have some people that are underperforming, and I think yeah. that you know Mankata, he's still banged up, right? I mean, you get him yeah. back, and yeah. you get Lancelin back, and some of those guys. Yeah. Brandall is yeah. figuring it out, whatever he's going it's through. Weird. But you know, it's so weird. He's been dealing with these knee, this these chronic knee issues over the last couple of years, um, and that's what Tony has at least been citing as far as giving him days off. And we've seen a lot of our boy Reese yeah. McGuire. And uh, <laughs> the you know the, the handsy guy that he is, um, we've seen a lot of him yeah. this year, and it's funny because I was just a straight up swap him for Zach Collins, which is you know kind of hilarious in hindsight. And I think Zach has been okay for the Blue Jays. I don't know. I don't really keep up with them anymore. Um, but Reese has been okay. He's been serviceable, but it's just like I don't know. I it's it's just interesting. I think we have one more year of Grandall um, before his deal ends, and then you kind of and then that's the thing that's interesting too. We don't really have a. a succession plan you know if there is going to be one or if they're just going to continue to ride this grand all train right. and if that's going to be the case like how healthy is he and how you know what, what does this look like but i don't know tony is also going at this that's been another point of, of contention on twitter um is that people are really upset because tony keeps resting guys you know if it's a double header you know ta is only going to play one of the two games you know um, andrew bond may only play one of the two games and a lot of people are wondering, even Ozzy in one of the post game shows called him out and was wondering like, wait, why, 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 why are you not putting your best lineup out there for both games? And even TA told him to shut the fuck up and like, you don't know what's going on here. Like stay your ass out of our clubhouse and stuff. And, you know, so there's been a yeah. lot of contention with that. And I, I, I've been, I mean, Tony has made some pretty, pretty ugly blunders, you know, not just this year, but you know, in this time as Sox manager, but at the same time, it's like, look, man, this is a roster that's supposed to be kind of just plug and chug, you know, and at the same time, you kind of want his experience and his understanding, and I think he is bringing that, and so far, the guys seem to continue to really respond well to Tony, too, as well, so I think you can't take that out of the equation either for what he's doing and factor that into his job performance, but yeah, man, again, I'm, I'm not too panicked, you know, it, this is great, though, this has been really good therapy to kind of get this out and, and talk about it, because, yeah, I just like, you know, I, I do get caught up in the moment when we drop, like, that, you know, when we did drop that game to the Guardians, like, yeah, don't get me wrong, like, I was MFing all night and was absolutely pissed and took, like, a joint or seven to, to calm me down and get me to go to bed, because I was, you know, absolutely <laughs> livid about that night, but... Look, man, in the grand scheme of all of this, it's it's fine. It's one game. We're figuring it out. And, you know, it's a long, long season. And thank God we're not in the NLS. <laughs> yeah. Let it all out, big guy. This is a safe uh, place. Safe you can space. let it all out. Safe space. Yes. Yes. Well, so, awesome. We got to end on this because, like Stanton said, by trade, we're baseball guys, obviously. We're sports talk radio, sports podcast guys. Big, big sports talk guys. One yes. thing that I'm not, that Stanton is now, apparently, is a soccer guy. Big, big the soccer MLF. guy. Oh, man, let me tell you. Mm. So, I don't know where this is going to go, but we're going to end right. with this because I don't know if we're going to evolve this into where we're making hot takes. Even It's just more so discussion-based, but... If we could put Stanton's some... got a really hot take about the MLS. I, I can't even grasp it. I'm just going to let him leave with this because when he sent me this text, I, it made me aggravated. I'm not going to lie just because <laughs> it's out there. I think I said, so, I, I think I sent this to you at like 
10, 10.30 late at night. Uh, candidly, I was enjoying myself in some cannabis, um, un- unwinding for, for a night. And yes, if there's some imaging, I want to call this Stanton's grand idea or Stanton's big, big play or, or whatever. Um, we'll, 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 we'll workshop that out, you know, as we're starting to try to figure all this out. But yes, all right. So I was inspired by the TV show, Time, which highly, highly recommend. I think it's... Um, it is an incredible fictionalized tale of the creation of Showtime and the Los Angeles Lakers um, uh, created by Adam McKay and a, and a host of other great, really fantastic writers. I really thought that it was a really, really well done series. Uh, but anyway, besides the point, but it inspired me because I think that what the MLS is missing, what it will need in order to take it from, because I think that there we, so background, we were at an Austin FC game a few weeks back. It was me, you, T-Sky, and Nick. We were all down in Austin having a merry time, and Nick had put in our chat, like, hey, let's go to a let's go to a soccer game. Here are the Austin games are lit. Showed us a couple Instagram clips. We're like, yeah, let's do it. So we went there. It was incredible. Like, it was a, a little too lit, I will say. We were in support section, and any time, not yeah, even when they score a goal, just like in general, they just start throwing beer and water and liquid in the air and it's like all right this is a little too much but either way it was aggressive there is there there's some there's some passion and being here in columbus with the crew there's you can you can feel some bubbling of passion of course this doesn't you know these are just like you know i I would say these are mid franchises compared to like the portland and the seattle sounders which are like perennial winners and you got the glamour franchises last year new york red bull they they won the mls cup so they're they're the defending champs right now then you got lafc that's another like big one but what this league is missing is if there is i can't take you serious with this hear me out on this hear me out on this if you can Uh. get two young american superstars one that plays for New York Red Bull or New York FC and one for the Galaxy or LAFC and you get them to have a perennial clash in two major markets and they play for like back-to-back-to-back MLS Cubs a la Bird and Magic, oh, we may have something cooking there. I'm telling you, this league is literally just one superstar rivalry away from being able to finally enter into the American mainstream. Now, I don't know who that is. I don't know when that's going to happen. I don't know how you even basically create that. But I think that if you, if we can find a way to find those young superstar players and get them to get their team to consecutive MLS Cups and play each other, I think all of a sudden you can have something pretty, pretty spectacular on your hands. Listen, I'm not going to say that all these ideas are going to be great, but this is kind of where this I'm telling you, man, this is a sport, right? Think about if you can, because right now we're we're seeing an ascendance of the WNBA. Uh, We're seeing an ascendance of, I I can't even think of another league right now. I think the WNBA is probably, probably one of the the better examples right now, but we're starting to see more superstars, more superstar power kind of come into that. More people are starting to pay more attention, rightly so to women's sports and especially the talent that we're seeing. But I think that there is an opportunity where, Hey, if we can attach ourselves to one of these early clubs, like me with the crew, potentially, you know, and see this and, and, and see this start to bubble up and see this league explode. That would be, 
pretty cool to be like, hey, I was one of the OG general fans before this became cool and popular. That's what I'll. That's all I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to get on the ground okay. floor of something before before it balloons and it's like, oh, you're just a bandwagon. You're just getting into it now, and it's like, yeah, maybe. And it's funny sure. because right, the MLS has been around. I think the crew have been around since '95. Which when I saw that, I was like, really had literally exactly. zero idea that this team existed. Until like three years ago, <laughs> so it's I funny think, that I say all this and want to get it on the ground floor, and it's like, nah, dude, we've been around for like thirty years already, and it's like, oh, well, hey, yeah, this, but it's, I, it's the popularity aspect of yeah, it. Exactly. I mean, from the shock value of what you're saying, just putting Larry and Magic in the same conversation as yeah. Major League Soccer, yeah, I think, yeah. I think I can get past that now. Yeah, I think yeah, if I yeah. take, if I, if I think really hard and take soccer out of it, yeah, and I think about the average fan yeah. and I think about a league who struggles getting my, folks like myself invested. Yeah. If I was trying to fix it, which I yeah. think is, or not fix it, make it better, which I think is where you're going with this 30,000 foot view, Makes the business model that you're, yeah, that'll do it. Do that. That'll get everybody into it. We can get hats. They can be red, you know, red hats. Yeah, we can get we'll get people into it, but what people? Yeah, what people exactly? <laughs> Reeling it back in. To your point, I think if you're trying to do that, and you are prescribing a solution, I think a unique solution would be to take the two best franchises and get and create some sort of competition with two young players are going to be around for a long time where people can learn to have that rivalry be synonymous with the league and it would make them tune in. Like I, I get that side of it. I agree. I think it's a great way to fix any league. I mean, major league yeah. baseball did it with the Dodgers and uh, the Astros and then yeah. they villainized the Astros. And then obviously yeah. the Dodgers have all money. And then oddly enough, magic Johnson's involved. So maybe the stuff I'll go back to magic Johnson. And, and see, maybe you're onto something. We need Magic Johnson. So, there, and it's funny too. And granted, it's a different league, but the NWSL has the um, the team out in LA, or maybe it's Anaheim. I can't remember, but the, the Angels, and it's like literally all like incredibly powerful female investors. Like I think Serena Williams, Megan Rapinoe. Like there's a whole bunch of like sure. really top tier women that are investing in this team. So like they're they've got all the star power and star names that that are behind it too as well. But that's really what it needs at the end of the day. You need a, a celebrity athlete endorsement. You need someone to kind of throw a ball to the wall for them. And but then at the same time, you also need some controversy. Like uh, uh, also talking about the creation of, and the popularization of the NBA, right? And how it was able to make that turn. A lot of it was not just Magic and Bird, but then the ascendance of Michael Jordan, and then of course the controversy with the draft lottery with with Patrick Ewing too as well, and the whole conspiracy that comes. So yeah, I think that's really what we also need. We need like a Magic Bird rivalry. And then we need a large-scale conspiracy theory that goes behind it too. And then all of a sudden, this league yeah, is on the moon. Up. This league what, is on um, What did Pat Mahomes' wife invest in? Didn't she get involved with the soccer franchise? She did. I, wanted, I, I think it was the Kansas, the Kansas City equivalent. Um, what is her name? Brittany Mahomes. Of what you're talking about with the Anaheim team? Yeah, yeah. I think she is an owner for yeah she is an owner for the Kansas City Current. The what? The Kansas City Current. Current like a current in a in a body of water. Uh, I believe. Oh yeah, so that is actually their name, the Kansas City Current. Yeah, I think like current like current water. 
They no, got she's got they got oceanfront got... property in Kansas City. That I don't know about. <laughs> Outside of some barbecue and some uh and, and some gnarly confusion about where exactly Kansas City is, whether it's in Missouri or, or Kansas, which is also one of the uh, the greatest um, confusing points in 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 all of American geography right yeah, now. It I, is. yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't know much else of what's, uh, of, or much bodies of water that are going on around there, but, uh, Hey, shout out to Kansas city though. Shout out to the existing. Kansas city current. Could have been the Kansas city, like pulled Fox. pork, Kansas city. Yeah. I was thinking, you know, yeah, I'm pork thinking like some, something along, something along like the, the barbecue route. Yeah. I don't know. That'll, be, right, that'll well. be the next leg. We'll, we'll go on a Kansas city tour. Now that'll, that'll be in the much, much, much much distant future. <laughs> yeah, I got some good conspiracy sports conspiracy theories too. I okay. think we can touch on some of those. All right, save that for the next episode because that that would be yeah. You know, we'll get into uh, conspiracies with curious. That's what I'm saying. I got a couple good ones I want to run past you. And we Love can it. talk about. I had I I'll tease a new one. I just re- dove in on this one yesterday, and it, I went down a rabbit hole that Jimmy Butler is Michael Jordan's illegitimate son. That doesn't get us to come back and do this. I don't know what will. All right, I'm down. I, I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, think of just close your eyes and look at MJ and look at Jimmy. <laughs> but there's other stuff behind it too. I'll I'll, uh, I'll get it in a digestible format. But I think we'll right. leave everybody with that. Um, I am. Uh, yeah. That I was mean, episode one of the Mound Visit. That's crazy, man. What a, what an awesome time, man. Hey, I appreciate you. I don't know if you can tell right now, but I'm literally on the edge of my seat, so I, I can't wait for episode two. Can't wait. Love you guys. Can't wait. <laughs>